Welcome to Bootleg Avocado, bringing you stories in the food startup world. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Mario. How are you? Good, good. So we're going to jump in um, pretty quickly because uh, we have a very exciting food brand. We have Max Buckner, Director of Sales of Four Real Foods, formerly Coco Berg. How are you doing, Max? I'm doing good. How yeah. are you today? Good, not bad. Um, so we want to jump into, you know, this is CPG play, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So give us a little bit about the product, what it is, what's it made of, and, and you know, what kind of the, the whole strategy is behind it. Sure. Yeah. So the kind of elevator pitch for it yeah. is uh, we make young or make coconut jerky using young coconut meat upcycled from the waste stream of the coconut water industry. Okay. And the product is just young coconut meat that's been marinated and then dehydrated, and that's it. Mm. So that's a lot of times what I'll use when I do like demos and stuff, yeah. even. That's kind right. of like my one sentence that grabs people. Yeah. But um, the idea behind the product and kind of behind the ethos of the company is really focusing on bringing uh, clean ingredient snacks to the market because so our founder Seth Seiberg kind of noticed that there was a a real dearth of options Uh for snacks that don't have a bunch of like you know whatever soy gluten you know if whether it's a special diet that you're focused on or just like you know preservatives your regular regular beef jerky which has about 17,000 ingredients. <laughs> exactly. And he is so to get like a 7-Eleven. Yeah, yeah, totally. And he, so he was a, a vegan also and was really obsessed with this, uh, this stuff, uh, Stonewall's jerky. I don't know if you've yeah, seen yeah, it. It's been yeah. around for yeah, a while. Yeah, a while yeah. And like, you know, you look at the back of the, that bag and it's got, you know, 20 different ingredients oh, that man, half of them are pronounceable. And yeah, it's bad. Yeah. It's bad. And so, good for you. No, no, I mean, it's delicious stuff and I don't want to say any bad things about yeah. them. You know, we're, right. yeah, no, we're all like fans. Yeah. You can eat like a thousand of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, really when you're on, on, on your, uh, I think the preferred food for all road trips is jerky. Oh, totally. Yeah. Have some jerky. Yeah. It's yeah. a road. It is. It's funny how road trips specifically is like the main thing that people associate with jerky. Totally. Like yeah. I'm the same way when I was growing up, it was whenever, you know, we did road trips, it would be beef jerky or something. Yeah. So, um, but so Seth kind of like this, the company sort of started, uh, it, it wasn't a, like planned launch really Mm -hmm. uh he had been a raw vegan for a summer Mm -hmm. and he went through a kind of period of a bunch of different diets and stuff uh found this recipe somewhere on a blog made it it was a ton of work and he was like i'm never going to do that again Uh um and then years later traveled in southeast asia um and he was talking with a friend about this you know coconut jerky that he'd had yeah um and they friend was kind of skeptical about it and was just like, ah, I don't know if that would, you know, do anything. And Seth was like, no, seriously, it's so delicious. Like, I promise you if we, you know, if I made it, like we would sell, it would be like the next kale chips. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so his friend who was the skeptic, was like, no way, that's not going to happen. You know, and that kind of launched him into hardcore recipe development and then launched the Kickstarter like a month later, just as kind of like a test to see what would happen. And the project got fully funded in about 10 days at like 130% of their goal. This is back in 2014. And this is before he was even intending to start a business. Like it was literally just to like settle this bet with a friend about like, no, people would, you know, people would totally be into this. Mm -hmm. And so it, it kind of like, 
in in that way, you know, from what I know of the the sort of early story of the company, it sort of continued developing in this really organic way where things happened that were not necessarily expected or even planned for, but ended up being really good things. Like even how we ended up in in Whole Foods uh, initially was uh, Seth applied to the Midwest region because he figured that would be our least likely region to get into. Uh He wanted to do sort of a beta test on how to do a submission for Whole Foods and figured that he could use what he learned from that going into to to apply to SOPAC or, you know, Northern California and ended up getting into the Midwest on its first round. So without being prepared to launch a company without being, you know, so... Yeah, um, you know, so a bit, of, a little bit of luck and some preparation. Yeah, together. totally. And it's it's been, you know, obviously we've matured a lot since that point. Where you know we're still not a big company. There are four of us working full time for Cocoa Berg, and then we've got right. distributors working in the regions that we're selling in all over the country. But how do you yeah. source then? So all of our sourcing previously, we were making the product in the Philippines, okay. and we had a partner we were working with there that. Um, was coconut water producer um, and also just a general coconut product company. Okay. Um, and so that's the other thing is pretty soon after, you know, starting to think about coconut jerky as a viable thing, mm-hmm. uh, you, you have to use young coconut to make it. Yeah. And yeah. young coconut isn't really a commodity product on the market. Mm-hmm. So the immediate thought was like, oh, wait, like this is, you know, there's all this young coconut water out there. Um, and if you're familiar with like harmless harvest and, like any of the pink coconut waters, yeah, yeah. those are all young coconut well, waters, young coconut, and yeah. it's it's certain varieties that are better for um, better for water, okay. uh, and then it's just like a, a better quality coconut water yeah. um, using the young. And th- there's certain things that change in the characteristics of it as it ages, and there are also a bunch of different cultivars which I'm not going to get into, and I don't even know enough about <laughs> to, to get deep into. And, but and the and the, the young coconut that you need for your product is primary can you only get it in in the philippines no so so we were we're producing in the philippines the company started growing you know more and there were some concerns about being able to scale properly in the philippines uh and some inconsistencies with the product specifically because they have like a hundred and something different varietals of coconut Mm. in the Philippines that they grow there. Um, And so we would be getting from batch to batch, you know, it wouldn't be like wildly different, but there would be some inconsistency from batch to batch. Uh And then basically uh, we, so we found a new partner in Thailand, which we just really like just flipped the switch on the manufacturing facility in the last couple of weeks. Um, That's going to really hugely increase our capacity and the one other thing about Thailand, so the region that we're producing in is sort of the champagne region for coconut water. Nice. So it's Ratchaburi, Thailand, and they use a, one specific varietal called the Nam Home coconut. Okay. And that's the coconut that the water turns pink and, you know, that, right. that's what Harmless Harvest is using. Yeah. Like, um, and so we knew that there was a well-developed coconut water industry there. Mm-hmm. We knew that we, in order to scale, we really wanted to partner with a coconut water company um, that because that's where the, our raw material comes from. And there wasn't always a guarantee in the Philippines that we would be able to use upcycled coconut. Okay. Um, not saying like most of the time it was, but it was just the supply chain wasn't there in the same kind of way for the coconut water mm-hmm. um, as it is in Thailand. So that kind of prompted the move over to Thailand. We also 
have a much larger capacity with our, our new partnership out there. Mm-hmm. And we're actually, can, we're probably still going to uh, keep working with our partners in the Philippines and maybe look at producing a different line in the Philippines. What, uh, what, what would they the be Turkey. doing? What would they be doing with the uh, young coconut mm-hmm. after the water? What would a they, lot of it is what would just, they normally be doing with it? You know, a lot of it's just thrown out, honestly, wow. because it's it's a pretty labor intensive to just extract it from the from the coconut. You gotta, you know, <laughs> crack the coconut open and scoop it out. And yeah. if you're just doing water, you just have to punch a hole and you can dump the water right out. And and they, the so, the so basically, they would just be throwing that away. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Is there a machine that does that? No, it's it's There's pretty much all done by hand like, at this point. No. I'm yeah. Like, um, uh, I mean, there might be out there. It's I don't think. It's something that we're using. It's got to be someone moment. that come up with this like engineered out thing. You put the coconut and you just press yeah. it down. If any of your listeners are engineers, like, engineer. you know, like, <laughs> yeah. the outside part of it yeah. and you just pull it. You have the, the you know. Yeah. Seems like well, and seems like it, it can't right? be yeah. that hard. Well, so here's the thing: is that uh, mature coconuts are really different from young coconuts. So if you look at like what most people think about when they think coconut is mature coconut, uh-huh. right. and that's the thicker, the thicker um, yeah. harder, yeah. you know, yeah. something that you can shred. Yeah. Uh, where young coconut is, I kind of describe it as like jellyfish texture. No. Um, it's sort of floppy. It's uh, really like high moisture content. Yeah. Um, and it it goes rancid pretty quickly if you don't freeze it or uh-huh. dehydrate it right away. Uh-huh. So and that's I think. Another big part of the reason that it has never been a big product, and also as the coconut matures, you get more meat and less water. With young coconuts, you have more water, Water. less meat. So it's kind of like the amount of labor, the amount of time that it takes to to go and extract all that. And, you know, it's so funny because people talk to us about like, oh, you're using, you know, it's an upcycled product. That means you get all of your raw material for free, right? And it's like, it's actually more expensive than commodity coconut that you buy on the market. And it's more expensive than, it's actually more expensive than beef per pound. Really? Um, Yeah. Well, is it because the people that you're buying it from now realize that you have a need for it and now they decide to charge for it? I think it's it's a combination of commodities of, uh, or sorry, uh, economies of scale that right. you get when you have a commodity product, which this isn't really a commodity yet. It's not something that, like you can't really, I right. mean, there are a couple of companies that sell young coconut meat, but they're sort of few and far between. It's not a regular thing you could just walk into your grocery store and find on the shelf. And, right. and a lot of the countries that are, you know, where the coconuts grow, people, there's just so many coconuts that nobody is going to go buy young coconut meat from the store. They just go out and, you Get know, some. yeah, exactly. And just buy a coconut off the street for 50 cents, you know? Wow. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's kind of, you know, and this is one of the things that we're sort of facing as we grow too, is that like, as we grow more, we can bring the price down a little bit more. And, you know, I'd love to look at some, although, you know, so talking about going into mechanization versus like having it be hand extracted. One of the cool things about what we're doing is we're keeping all of our manufacturing in the country of origin at this point, because a lot of times those really great value added steps get taken out of the country. And those jobs that are pretty decent paying jobs, uh, also leave that country. So also the quality too, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, uh, young coconut goes rancid quicker once you dehydrate it mm-hmm. in the country of origin. It's a better product. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so it's and once you dehydrate it, actually, it's you're good. It's you're just good. when it's fresh, it's like uh-huh. yeah, so you, have to, you have to keep it frozen. Time's ticking. You know, as, totally. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So if we were to produce it in the U.S., we would have to keep it frozen to ship it over here before we can even manufacture. And that's a whole different supply chain. Well, once you once you get the coconut, product. once you get the young coconut um, meat, mm -hmm. how long does it take in terms of dehydrating, seasoning, marinating to produce the jerky? You know, it's a it's a couple of hours in a dehydrator. The marination doesn't take all that long. Um, you know, there's some. It's you know all together probably about a day to make okay. to make coconut jerky yeah, yeah. from start well, to end. You can really turn it around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty quick. It's a you know it's a really simple process, and that's one of the other cool things about what we're working with here is it's really like it, you can't really get more simple than dehydrating something. Like as far as food preservation techniques go, that's one of the probably if not the earliest <laughs> one of the earliest yeah, yeah absolutely ways to do it so definitely yeah cool nice so let's take a quick little break uh when we come back let's jump into um the empathy question which is a great little icebreaker um just jump into kind of your background and mm -hmm. we'll go from there okay cool. sounds good all right we'll be right back welcome back to bootleg avocado bringing you Stories in the food startup world. So we have Max Buckner here, director of sales for Four Real Foods, formerly Coco Burke. And this is part of the, uh, the episode in which we kind of jump into our empathy questions. So this is kind of like a little icebreaker to get you to open up a little bit more about yourself personally. So you Max got that look on his face. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't quite expecting this. Yeah, exactly. He's like, where is this going? <laughs> So you'll take one of these cards, and then I'll read you the question and answer it as honestly as you can. All right. Yeah. Let's go with that guy. Cool. All right. All right. Okay. Um, okay. What about you most comforts others? Ooh, that's a good question. You being a salesperson. Yeah. So go ahead. Let's. Being yeah. a salesperson. You know, this is I can say it in sales, but also just generally. Do it both. And yeah. this is maybe different than what people would think, but listen, the ability to actually listen and not wait, not just waiting for your turn to talk. And like, yeah, I would say listening. That's probably, you know, what, wait, what was the question again? <laughs> but wait, I gotta find it. What makes people most comfortable? Well, the, yeah. What makes people, you, yeah. Yeah. Right. I would say, I would say the ability to, to truly listen to um, what people are saying and, because uh, I think, and I, I think generally that puts people at ease when, you know, they feel like you're there, you're, you're showing up and you're engaged with mm -hmm. them. You're not just, you know, you're not just thinking about yourself or thinking about what you're having for dinner or, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, yeah. or thinking about what the big sale you're going to make off of them is. It's yeah. like, you know, and I think that, that applies also in sales. I think so many salespeople tend to take the approach of like, I got to get in there and be as aggressive as possible and hammer. And I'm not saying that doesn't, doesn't work for some people. It uh, just isn't my, it's not my style. Yeah. Um, and I find that I do a lot better when I, I go in and I listen to a customer and I say like, like, what do you need? Like, how can we fit whatever needs you have that aren't being met currently? Right. And that's where, yeah, I think, I think that's where, most of the best things in the world come from. It's uh -huh. like truly engaging with people and listening. Yeah. So. And then what kind of got you started in kind of the sales world? What's, what's, you know, what's been your trajectory to get to where you are? I guess it's a, it's a long, weird question <laughs> or a long, weird answer to yeah. that question, I guess. Uh -huh. um, 
So sales, honestly, was not what I set out to do initially. Mm -hmm. It was never where I expected I would end up. I do come from a family of sales professionals, I guess. Okay. Like my dad sold uh, packaging equipment to the beverage industry for mm -hmm. my whole childhood. Mm -hmm. And that was also his family was in that business yeah, like okay. a generation back. So there was some pressure on me to like, oh, you're going to end up being a salesperson one day. But um, when I was in an undergrad in college, I studied um, geography with a focus in food networks, sort of from a Marxist perspective okay. and expected that I would be working in the nonprofit world. <laughs> yeah. um, right. I, I was planning to like be really focused on food justice yeah. and um, the food security issues and that sort of thing. Uh, when I finished school, um, I graduated college in 2009. So it was right after the economic crash. Um, mm -hmm. And I was really interested in volunteering for a year. So I did AmeriCorps and I worked in New Hampshire, uh, building hiking trails and teaching environmental education to fourth and fifth graders for a year. Okay. Um, and then thought that I would stay in kind of the outdoor world actually, yeah. and was going to go lead backpacking trips for a living. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, Moved out to Washington State, worked for an organization called uh, Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School, um, for a year managing their kitchen, of uh -huh. all things, actually. Okay. Um, In and what way managing the kitchen? Uh, I was I was the chef, food buyer, uh, okay. preparer, everything, yeah. you know, just kind of doing... Did doing you have any all. training, or was it just kind of like what... I grew up cooking a lot, and... Okay. Um, you know, not not professional training. Yeah. Though. Um, I the year that I lived in New Hampshire, uh, volunteering. It was a residential core where there were thirty of us living on site, uh -huh. so we had to rotate and take turns cooking for the whole group. Okay. And so I got some institutional cooking experience nice. there, and then my background in food, food issues, and all that stuff. I think is kind of what drew me to them. I'd also in that time gotten a wilderness EMT training and some other things. I was really focused on like, I'm going to go be a backpacking guy. <laughs> and not cooking. Yeah. yeah right. The cooking was, the cooking was because I would get a uh, half off on their uh, instructor course. <laughs> <laughs> if I worked for the organization and then you also, if you work for them, it's all contract jobs. So right. you get to know right. the people who make the decisions right. there. Yeah. So, but, um, so ended that, <laughs> I then moved to Guatemala for six months and intended to just go take Spanish classes, ended up working for a food nonprofit down there that was teaching garden education classes to elementary school kids just mm. through my network of friends who I made, uh, stayed for six months, originally only intending to stay for one, yeah. then came back to the States, moved to Savannah, Georgia, yeah. where my family lives now with the intention, all intentions of moving to California and finding a job and food nonprofits. Okay. And in the meantime, my friend from college, her parents owned the mom and pop health food store in the middle of downtown Savannah, brighter day, natural foods. If anyone's ever down there, and then honestly, I, I was there and I just totally fell in love with the natural product world. Uh -huh. um, I got really deep into herbal medicine yeah. um, and saw that what they were doing there around food security and food access was like more significant than most nonprofits that are, you know, focused in the same area yeah. because they were smack in the middle of downtown, which was not a food desert, but I think there was only one other grocery store within 
a couple mile radius. Um, and they were like really into, um, you know, really into just sustainable local food. They were educating people about what it means to eat good food and what it means that like what real food actually is uh-huh. um, and then providing it there. So I got deep into that. And then from there, I've kind of just been falling upwards in the supply chain. Uh, I ended up as a buyer for that store okay. for the supplement department. Uh, one of the brokers we were working with asked if I wanted a job selling. Uh, we He worked with about 15 different brands all over the Southeast. So I worked with him for a year as an associate broker, traveling around North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. Selling one particular product? Selling 15 brands, uh, a couple of thousand products. Wow. Um, and okay. so some of those were some of the big name. And that was all a supplement world, actually. So mm. did, my, you really, did, you, um, did, did you believe in the products? Yeah. I, I think I – and this is where uh, my views have not changed on – herbs uh, and i think the way that people think about herbal medicine is it needs to be shifted away from thinking about it as like an analog to western medicine and more of like think of these as special foods and mm-hmm. thinking about like using um herbs as a way to i'd love to see more domestic supply chains for herbs developed and one of the companies i worked for was called herb farm and they have a you know huge farm out in Williams, Oregon, and they are kind of like one of the top companies in terms of sustainability, environmental impact in that industry. And they're really, really focused on their supply chain. And we were sort of a boutique brokerage. So I was lucky enough to be able to work with a few companies that were really like, you know, top, top notch. Um, And then from that position, I was actually offered a job by one of the companies that I worked for as a broker their parent company bought and sold commodity ingredients for the supplement industry. So I, and that's actually what moved me to New York about three years ago, almost now. Um, It was, they moved me up here to work as a sales guy selling commodity ingredients into the supplement industry, Uh, which, you know, I'm not going to go deep into right now, but I saw there were a lot of, issues with that supply chain. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was, you know, not just the company that I was working for, but just generally within the supplement industry, I was so lucky to be in this like utopian bubble of like this amazing mom and pop health food store. And then moving to working for like literally the top sustainable companies in the industry. And then I was selling, you know, diet and boner pills to, like, <laughs> which is unfortunately is like that a easy? huge. Pro- it sounds sounds easy. I'm in. Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny. It's it's also you know, yeah. Again, I I, I don't need to go too deep into that because that's a whole rabbit hole we could go down. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's unfortunate that the majority of that supply chain isn't uh, not that it's not ethical, but it, it isn't, there's not the kind of uh, precautions being taken that we hope. And, you know, there's been a lot of news stories in the last couple of years. In terms of environmental issues or environmental, uh, there's a lot of adulteration problems mm-hmm. in the supply chain for supplement industry, mm-hmm. um, especially because, and I think part of it is because it's shifted towards um, this model of like, standardized extracts where we got to have, you know, X percent of Y compound in this plant instead of just like 
taking the whole plant uh, as a tea. You know, we want three oh, yeah. percent right. this it's a, it's a cocktail in, you know, things, in a yeah, capsule, which yeah, yeah. You know, that's not what I consider to be like. It, it, is, yeah. is that caused by profitability? Profit, profit oh yeah, yeah, totally. I, mean, like, I think the, it's that's the, marketing. The, yeah, mean, it's the formula market. for making a profitable product. Yeah, so I mean the pharmaceutical com- you know yeah. industry is huge. So right. like, yeah. why would why would that supplement industry not then just try to mirror the pharmaceutical industry? Right, but, right, right. Yeah, but so that, that's kind of again the long answer to like, it. Kind of, but yeah. you know, listening to all of your experience though, it seems like there is a you know a through way. There is. You know, in terms of like food justice and just like um, food nonprofits, although I would assume that um, your current company wants a profit. <laughs> yeah, a profit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, your your ingredients and, and all that sort of, it seems like it all ties together. Yeah. You know, it's it's it makes a great story now. And it's it's funny how unintentional that was you know and i think that's one of the fun things too when i talk to other people in the industry who are like doing things that they really love how often it's like i had no idea i was gonna end up here like you know i just started doing what was interesting to me and then kind of followed the thread and i feel like i'm lucky enough to like be in that same boat where it just kind of worked out somehow but sure yeah it sounds like a a really great journey as far as you know jumping into this stuff which is a completely different animal than anything else totally and so and what originally drew me to um for real foods which was coco berg yeah. at, at the time that i was looking for is um when i was searching for a job where i could w- work a little bit closer to the actual supply chain yeah. um i and i saw that they were making an upcycled product i was like this is so cool like I could have an opportunity to work for a company that has an ethical supply chain for mm-hmm. agricultural products, which mm-hmm. is still kind of at the end of the day, my ulterior motive that I like kind of is baked into anything that I do. And like what I see my career path following is like better supply chains for plants that are more, um, more sustainable for the planet, more equitable for the people who are growing them. And, yeah. you know, just, yeah. So, and, and, and you know, in terms of you know using young coconut meat to make jerky, it completely makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it's also a product that really you know you're not kind of reverse engineering and saying, "Hey, I got this coconut meat. What can I do with it?" It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know what? It's we're using it for jerky, which works. Yeah, you know, and it, it, it it's a good product, and mm-hmm. I, I would imagine the texture is exactly. Yeah, I'm sorry. I yeah, we don't have any products. But yeah, no samples, Max. Come on. Yeah, no samples. <laughs> I think uh, Mario, you tried it at the. At yeah, the no, I, I, I tried it. Yeah. So let's take a quick little break. We're gonna jump into actually the product after this. Okay. Um, so we'll be back right back with Max. Welcome back to Bootleg Avocado, bringing you stories in the food startup world. So Max, um, director of sales. Um, at Four Real Foods, formerly Coco Bird. Let's jump into the um, the rebrand. Mm-hmm. So why the name change? It was formerly Coco Bird. You did that. It was Coco Bird because that's kind of where it started in Williamsburg, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Williamsburg, coconut. <laughs> it's basically it's it's as far as it goes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now it makes sense. Yeah, 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 like yeah coconut, yeah. bird. Yeah, right, yeah. You thought it was Coco I thought it was Coco Bird. Uh-huh. A bird. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So and so that's actually one of the. Which is not a bad name either. No, Coco no, it's, it's kind of catchy. People, like, people like that. Yeah. I want some like chicken coconut bird. Coconut. coconut. I want coconut flakes like chicken fingers. 
if I think cocoa bird. Mm, right. Like, like a cocoa crusted. Yeah. Yeah. Cocoa yeah, crusted or something. Yeah. Coconut crust. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get to it. Yeah. 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 We can. I'm sure you have a lot of business cards left over and like <laughs> totally, stickers and yeah. stuff we can use. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So Co- cocoa bird, like I said, you know, it's it's kind of not the most meaningful name in the world. Um, and then one of the things that we've been thinking about as we grow is wanting to potentially move outside of <laughs> coconut and use some other ingredients that are also, you know, sustainable to produce. And then not just sustainable, but I think at the core of the business is the real food ethos. And we really want to be able to just like present options that are like real food to our customers. So by moving not away from cocoa bur- or from coconut, mm. uh, we by moving a little bit away from that name, it gives us a little more leeway to to explore and kind of expand into other horizons. So, um, and then we also really wanted the name of the company to reflect the ethos, which is you know for real, like real food. It, it's everything that we put out is going to be like real food, whatever that means to you. And we're still honestly talking within the company about how like what does that mean to us? What right. is real food? What you know. Do pow- how do powders fall into real food yeah. or like, you know, what ingredients can be considered real if we're looking to make something real. But so all those were the reasons kind of for the, for the switch. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it, it's, we're still small enough at this point that we, it wasn't going to be a huge problem to, to change the name of the company. So Whereas like maybe a year from now, you know, hopefully uh, it would be a lot more difficult to like do a major rebrand. So it was kind of like a, well, if we're going to do it, we should do it now. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what led to it. Are you looking to develop, um, are you doing R&D in terms of products specifically with maybe another idea in the coconut world? Or are you looking com- completely outside of that. Yeah, I mean, we've got so many ideas right now bouncing around. We've got a couple of products that are in development that um, a lot of them are going to continue using coconut just because we've got such a solid relationship and supply chain for coconut right now. And it's also, again, young coconut meat is not something that's really out there on the market. So by being sort of the first to the table with it, we'll, we'll have a lot of opportunities from that. Um, but yeah, again, there's a lot of other really cool stuff out there that we'd like to do. Um, would, would you, when, when uh, we'll discuss where you guys are available, but mm-hmm. when you are in a, in a marketplace, um, are you primarily put next to beef jerky and good question. So this has actually been one of the toughest things to figure out. Um, some places have us with the beef jerky. Some places put us with like kale chips Um, and Uh we actually find that I think we do better around like the kale chips, um, dried, you know, vegetable chips, that sort of thing Uh in sort of like the functional snacks category, it's called a lot of Uh times. Um, The jerky category can be really good for us if the store already has other vegan jerkies and people know to look for vegan jerkies in the jerky set because you think about it our customer is probably you know our target customer is vegan or you know leans towards a plant-based diet um they're probably not shopping the beef jerky set that often right so unless they already know that we're there and we are like the thing that's drawing them as the you know to that destination then we're going to have a lot lower chance of somebody just like encountering it and deciding to pick it the up. The only thing I'm thinking about is like if, if you're going to get beef jerky mm-hmm. 
And then you're like, wait a second. There's a bet, you know, there's a, not a better choice, but a different choice. Yeah. Yeah, but if you have you're already jerky, in that beef jerky set, and then you're like, wait a second. It's hard to switch. <laughs> when you like got a I would buy both. Jerky, right? I, I would buy, I would get both of them. I mean, yeah, yeah but then you And add to like a comparison. Yeah, but then the like, car. Yeah. it would not hold up to beef jerky. Like texture wise, like, you know, you want, you want that texture, you want that saltiness, you want that, that pull of, of the, of the, of the meat. If you have that in your head, that's what you want. Like when you want a burger, you want a burger. You're not going to go to a burger shop. And you're like, Oh, I'll have a mushroom burger. No, you know, unless you are already in that mindset of like, okay, I want to eat a mushroom burger today or whatever. So like, like you said, I don't think your, your product is there to convert people. Mm-hmm. I think your product's there for the vegans, the people that where the people that already people kind of yeah. sold on the. On I mean, the not that and we then, don't want to convert no, people. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, well, I you, think you're going to have. But if you were to put your money, where would you put it? Would yeah. you advertise to vegans and, and people in the kind of healthy space, or would you advertise to some, you know, a, a meat eater? Or, mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah, stop. Yeah, yeah. so totally. Yeah. yeah. So but we were talking about how jerky is the car. The, it's the it's the national food of people who go on trips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're gonna eventually have to get into some of those like Seven mm-hmm. Elevens mm-hmm. and Wawas and gas stations yeah. and stuff, who are not necessarily gonna have a health food section. Totally. Right. But yeah. let's say you know somebody from Williamsburg gets in their car and now they're gonna do a trip to Kansas or something. Mm-hmm. But they're never gonna get those options in. So you get you know I I, I think there's a market. In, yeah. There's well, gotta be a market in those gas. Stations. That's I think that's also a really good point to make about the different channels that you can work in within CPG industry. So like our primary channel would probably be called, you know, like the natural food channel. Um, There's also conventional grocers. There's also, um, uh, what would you call it? Convenience, convenience store grocers. Mm -hmm. And all all of those are going to have slightly different strategies for how you approach that from a sales perspective, because it is, you know, in the natural channel, maybe your focus is on just a couple of stores that are really like hot places that are the hotbeds of innovation and people are knowing, people know to go there to search for the, like the cool new thing that they've never seen before. When you're at somewhere like a Wawa or a, you know, Quick Trip or whatever, like the, it's a totally different customer that you're, you have walking in and not saying that you don't have the natural customers also coming in there, but it's like a much wider swath of the population. Right. And it's funny because I think sometimes we in this food world kind of get in our little bubble and don't realize that like everyone out there isn't always interested in, you know, what's healthy in, in and what's healthier cool and, and sustainable stuff, yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times people just want to go buy the Doritos, you know, but um, it's like, you got the coast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you just want to you, <laughs> yeah. you want to break up the coast, the yeah, and everything else in the middle. However, you know, we still we we are we're only those products are only available to our areas. Yeah, still you travel into those those parts of the country, you don't have access to mm-hmm. easy yeah. access. To yeah, didn't, yeah. Didn't you were you working for a like a grab and go like gas station concept that worked? I mean. Was there a thing to bring these products in? Yeah, so I work for a couple of very large distributors, companies, uh-huh. um, and they were always interested in the niche. That's why I asked yeah. because I think um, you know you could sell to those bigger, larger retailers mm-hmm. and have a presence there. Yeah, just because they're always looking to have at least a presence. Yeah. Like Seven Eleven, I'm sure there is one. Yeah, healthy. one. It's probably terrible. 
kind of something there, <laughs> yeah, it's right? Probably terrible. There's got to be like a kale. Ch- they're, they're, yeah. they're probably selling kale chips. Maybe it's like they hidden in the back. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's all dusty and everything. Yeah. But, totally. you know. Well, so and that's that's the other big point there, though, right? Is that like if we're move if we are putting our product in a store, we want to see velocity. We want to see that it's actually moving right. because that gives us a much better story to be able to tell as we expand our distribution or, mm-hmm. you know, to investors who might be looking to work with us, like mm-hmm. as a small business with also a limited supply chain at this point, um, you know, we could like, say we got a call tomorrow from all of the, you know, seven elevens, which there are probably what, like 10,000 or something in the a country. Yeah. And they said like, good news. We want to launch coconut jerky in all of our seven elevens. Oh, then I would be probably saying like, no, sorry guys. Like I can't, I can't do it. Like yeah. we just, because yeah, yeah, I mean, and it's partly you know about scalability, and again, not saying that like we're not working towards that. They probably want you more if you said that. Uh, yeah, you know, sure. Like, well, when are you going to be ready? <laughs> totally. How can we help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that's also like you know making sure that with the resources that we have, that we're really targeting smartly, right. that we're looking to to sell where we know we're going to be able to move. And that we're able to really connect with our core audience first, because it's also, there's a lot of education still. I think that, you know, people who are familiar with, you know, vegan jerky as even a concept are pretty few and far between when you look at the, you know, the general population. And I can't tell you how many times I tell people like, oh, I work for a vegan coconut jerky company. And they're like, coconut jerky, is that meat that's flavored like coconut? And I'm like, I just said vegan coconut jerky. No, there's no beef. There's, no, you know, it's just coconut. So it's like that's the, that's still the conversation we're having in a lot of places. So I think a big right. part of it is educating consumers about like that. Hey, there is something called vegan jerky. First yeah. off, yeah, right. then like once you get into vegan jerky, like yeah, hey, like check out this cool. And like maybe we can be coconut jerky first, and then that leads people into vegan jerky that's fine too or maybe they can get a little small component of like a trickery you know mm-hmm. like make them think it's beef and they just buy it and they like it and they're just, just buying it all the time yeah. thinking it's beef <laughs> you know <laughs> there'll be like a nice margin on just tricking that coconut beef jerky was delicious yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah just uh just a review so you have four flavors right uh-huh so the original, which is what what are kind of the, the, the flavor in, in that So one? the base is coconut aminos, which is a vegan, gluten-free, soy-free, soy sauce substitute. Okay. Um, and that gives it a lot of the umami flavor, that mm. kind of like nice, rich yeah. depth. Yeah. Uh, and then black pepper, and that's pretty much it in the, right. in the uh, original flavor. Uh, we had had some iterations with onion and garlic and we're finding that it was just actually better with just the black pepper and you know, it's easier and we, we love having as few ingredients as possible on the label. So if they can just look at it and it says, you know, young coconut meat, coconut aminos, salt, black pepper, that's That's it. it, You know, that's pretty awesome for us. And then you have Um, a chili lime mm -hmm. and a ginger teriyaki, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which I think I like the ginger teriyaki, the, best okay i think cool yeah. i think uh i forget who was was with you that day but this the that was the line was good uh-huh yeah i, I think I, I like the teriyaki one a little bit better 
Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah, those those tend to be mm-hmm. the, it's funny, those two, even though our original is like sort of, I guess, mm-hmm. a flagship flavor, mm-hmm. it's the chili lime and ginger teriyaki that yeah. get more attention and yeah. really like strong fan bases. Right. Um, I would say all the, all three of those move relatively similarly. Yeah. So they're all selling at about the same rate. But uh, And another cool uh, note I'll make about the chili lime and ginger teriyaki um, is that we're using in the marinades, we're not using powders. We're not using lime juice powder. So actually, we're using yeah. actual lime juice, lime juice and wow. jalapenos chopped up that, yeah. you know, it, we then marinate it. And same thing with the uh, ginger teriyaki. It's mm. real, you real know, fresh ginger, ginger yeah. that it's being marinated yeah. in. You so. definitely taste the, the layers of those flavors. And mm-hmm. I, I think the reason that probably those are a little bit more popular because just coconut in general lends itself to those flavors totally. so much easier and smoother. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a savory original. application. You yeah. Know, yeah. Not that the original really isn't works. good at all. The original is great, but I'm thinking just like the coconut just kind of flows yeah. right into the lime and the chili. Totally. Is just a, well, yeah. the chili lime, I've had people say that it's like Tom Ka soup. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It reminds them of that, which is like, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have a uh, nothing but coconut. Yeah, which is a vanilla flavor. So that's our vanilla. Yeah, but, you know, vanilla. yeah, and that's our that's our newest skew. It's one ingredient. It's dried young coconut meat, and that was actually because people were asking for it, um, mm. which was sort of surprising to to us when we when we first started hearing that feedback. Was yeah. that like, hey, can you guys make an unflavored one? It's like really like. Okay, yeah, yeah. sure, that's easy. Uh, I wonder is jerky a is it a is it a is it familiar outside of the United States? Mm, like so in like, I'm sure. England, I mean, uh, jerky or like in. That's a great question. It's got to be. I mean, yeah? anywhere I would say jerky came from what people who are dry like, meats. Uh-huh. The they probably. Meats. I mean, right, I, right. I know right. they have like different names. For like you know, there's got to be some sort of jerky. I mean, maybe the maybe the name jerky. Italy. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's got to be like ways where you know, pure pure dried meat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. So. But and that so the nothing but coconut also um, the so it's just the unflavored young coconut skew mm. right so the the interesting thing about that is we're also trying to sort of separate that from the jerkies and considering that to be the sort of first product in a new line of of products that are moving away from those sort of meaty flavors mm. um, and not that we won't have other meatyish flavors yeah. in there um, but we're also working on developing new jerky skews that are going to have like pretty traditional jerky flavors that yeah. people know like things like uh, barbecue you know is something we're, we're working on right yeah exactly yeah you gotta go like all the yeah barbecue yeah, totally yeah, totally yeah, yeah. But, sriracha yeah but it is one of, the, <laughs> one of the really cool things about it though is that like because coconut is so neutral on its own it sort of lends itself to moving in a bunch of different directions mm-hmm. so we're looking at stuff where we maybe are working with other fruits and coconut. Yeah. We're looking at a potentially doing a line where we have functional ingredients that we add in with the coconut. So thinking about things like reishi mushroom or, yeah. So, so that, that's, like a, a coconut, like trail mix with mushrooms and like a jerky trail mix. That's a cool idea. Totally. Yeah. 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 You can send me a check after. So where, so where can people find, um, you know, the product? Sure. Um, so right now we're in Whole Foods in the Southern California, in the Midwest, in the Rocky Mountains and in the Mid-Atlantic, okay. uh, which is like Virginia, yeah. um, 
Maryland around there. Uh, we're also in Natural Grocers Vitamin Cottage throughout the kind of throughout the West. I yeah, think yeah. a lot of those stores are in Colorado. Okay. Um, we're in a handful of other, you know, pretty well-known uh, independent chains in California. So places like Lassen's, Erewhon Market, Jimbo's, uh, Jimbo's yeah, Mother's yeah. Market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some of these are kind of big heavy hitters in right, that world. Right. Nice. And then um, apart from that, it's a lot of like independent mom and pops and uh, a couple of juice bars, a couple of smoothie bars, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, we're working on growing the distribution and I really am interested in kind of focusing a lot on some of those independent retailers, some of the um, like the co-ops of the world yeah. and that sort of thing where again, we can really sort of target our, our, audience that's probably already primed and ready for coconut jerky yeah. okay um, and then how do people get in touch with you they can get in touch with me uh well my email is max at cocoberg.com okay. um and also max at forrealfoods.com okay. um and uh, oh and i should also mention that we we do sell direct online i was, so, gonna, I was yeah. actually gonna say yeah you go, to your, some... go to your website and buy some. yeah <laughs> our website coconutjerky.net um, Great, and that's not going to change. I don't think. Great, yeah. CoconutJerky.net. CoconutJerky.net. Cool. Then we've got some other cool, exciting partnerships on the horizon that I, I won't go into details, but yeah. people will see it in some more places. Soon. And you guys will be at Expo West, right? We will be at Expo West. We're sharing a booth with a, a sister brand of ours, okay. uh, Thunderbird Energetica, which they make real food like bars. Yeah. Uh, and we are going to be at booth number fifty-six thirty-five. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Nice. Yeah. yeah. This might air after, but for that's that, a, yeah. That's fine. I will be yeah. at Expo West, so cool. I will see you there. Yeah. yeah definitely cool. stop by. Yeah. So Max, thanks for being with us. Um, Anthony, wanna do your speak feast? Yes. Pitch? Yes, sir. So uh, my <laughs> website is uh, speakfeast.com and chefanthonynichols.com. Um, I do consulting for QSRs and uh, private events. So send me an email. Reach out. Uh, I'd love to talk. Now, Mario Rodriguez from Bootleg Avocado, helping to scale your food startup on the culinary and operations side. Uh, very happy to have Max here, Director of Sales of Four Real Foods. Please check them out. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening.